party tonight. Good evening. You are listening to a Rattlegen Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. Mr. Mark Rattledge, and tonight our favorite show is Star Trek do, 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 do. Lower Decks Season 1, brought to you by the good people at CBSI Animation Productions, Secret Hideout, Important Science, Roddenberry Entertainment, and Titmouse. Mmm, Titmouse. Speaking of Titmouses, my, <laughs> joining me tonight... My good friend David Wright, all you know, captain of all things here, science fictiony and Star Trek. How do you do, sir? I'm good, thanks, Mark. How about you? Uh, I'm distracted. No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm what else good. is new? Yeah, well, my life just juggling a bunch of uh, chainsaws on fire. I'm, you know, but I'm here. I'm present with you, David Wright. I am present. Um, so this was your idea. I was. It's funny. I, I threw out a couple of. A while back, I threw out a, a challenge to people. I'm like, hey, I am trying to incorporate more of what other people want to do and less of just what I want to do or what I think we should be doing. So I told, I gave everyone a challenge, like name five things you wanted to do. And I think at the time, one of the things I said to you was, oh, I have Paramount Plus now. And like, so we can do any of the, and I, and I really did expect you to be like, great, when are we doing Discovery? And you're like, no, Lower Decks. And I like flip the table. <laughs> like, God damn it. Yeah. Like, you you, you see, that. Mark, you are my friend and I care about you. <laughs> and friends don't make friends watch Star Trek Discovery. I hear what you're saying. I did not realize Lower Decks was as good as it was. Like, I thought Lower Decks was going to be really stupid. So when you suggested it, I was like, oh, God, why does he want to talk about this? I'm. This is one of those situations where I'm glad you forced me to watch something I wouldn't have given a chance to because it... It is much better than it is any right to be. But let me go to you first about that. You you watched it way back in the yesteryear and enough that you wanted me to talk about it. So what did you like about it so much? We're going to break it down individually. But in general, what did you like about it so much? And what made you want to spend an hour talking to me about it? Well, pretty much ever since Enterprise wrapped up and uh, Nemesis came out in theaters, I've been like a battered spouse with the Star Trek franchise. No shit. I, I, yeah, we, we, remember we have yeah. Picard season two coming up yes yes oh boy yeah uh but like you know, we have the kelvin movies which were up and down and all over the place uh, to hear more of that please look at our star trek kelvin retrospective where we go into depth on those but you know those films had their had their good points and some bad points mostly the writing uh but like, like they never really managed to capture that sort of original star trek spirit like they're mm -hmm. all like fun space adventure movies with cool and attractive people doing running and shooting stuff with sort of just the the trappings of Star Trek, like a very sort of shallow understanding of the franchise. You know, mm -hmm. the red shirt dies, set phasers to stun, Klingons, you know, like all the basic stuff that just about anyone would kind of know from cursory with Star Trek, but not really getting into like, you know, deep characters, explorations of humanity, what it is to be a, a human, social issues, moral, you know, like moral problems, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And then Discovery came out and that's just one of uh, a, a ter terribly, terribly done thing. <laughs> and it was Picard and everyone was like, everyone's just, you know, hooray, Picard's back. This is going to be good. But again, same writing team and, you know, again, please listen to our Star Trek Picard review to hear more of our thoughts on that. But, you know, like they, they've never managed to really pick up the torch and do Star Trek the way like good Star Trek has been done. Like, they, they've never managed to really get to the core of what makes Star Trek Star Trek. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how Strange New Worlds turns out. Yeah, I get, this is like their third time saying, okay, we've we've heard the fans. Really, <laughs> we promise this time it'll be an optimistic vision of the future and we'll be doing you know, boldly going where no one has gone before. Yeah, this time we but, won't burn the meatloaf, we promise. Yeah, I, I, 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go all over Star Trek Discovery too much this episode, but I, yeah. the first episode of Discovery, they do like the whole big reveal of, you know, this is a ship of exploration. It's the Discovery and we're going to go and we're going to see sights in the universe. And oh boy, this is exciting. I mean, a really a much more accurate name for the ship would have been the USS Shoot Everything in the Face. Because <laughs> <laughs> that show is just like shooting everything. Sure. There, there's very little discovery. There's very little science. It's anyway. Yeah. Uh, so when Lord X came out, it's like, okay, it's going to be an animated show from one of the writers of Rick and Morty. It's like, uh, okay, um, points for something different. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, is, is this just going to be college humor just with Star Trek trappings or is it going to be something else? And the, the previews didn't really do it much justice. Uh, you know, again, they focused a lot more on the, you know, the, the college humor. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, I, I started to kind of hear whispers from some trusted friends that, that there's a bit more to this. And so I, I tracked it down and started watching it. And uh, the first two episodes were a bit so-so for me. It was yeah. kind of the third episode where I kind of went like, okay, that this could be something. Yeah. It, we can just jump right into this. Star Trek Lower Decks yeah. is about <clears throat> some uh, lower staff. We uh, bring up the cast of characters. Yeah, Star here. Trek shows tend to focus majority on the bridge crew, maybe with right. the exception of the Doctor and the engineering team. But yeah, this is there have been like a couple of episodes. I think Voyager did one, and uh, Next Generation did one, literally called Lower Decks, where it was sort of from the perspective of you know mm -hmm. low ranking crew members, and the the main cast is just kind of there, like you know, you've been called to talk to the captain, and you know, and everyone's afraid because it's the captain. So we ha we have a, a group of different ensigns. I'm just reading through these. So we have Tawny Newsom okay. who plays Beckett Mariner. She's the star of this thing, and um, she won me over. She it it, it started off rough, but she yeah. We'll talk about this over the course of the ten episodes or whatever, or however many it was. I believe it was ten. Uh, yeah. She, she absolutely starts to function as a human being and is somebody that I, I want to see succeed and cheer for. Um, we have Jack Quaid, who's Brad uh, Boimler. And uh, he also kind of wins me over over time. Like everyone's the main cast of characters here kind of start off because um, they they just seem like caricatures of, you know, some comedy tropes. But over the course of the season, every you know, I, I think there was another show where I think it was like Fuller House. Pat and I talked about this where it was like everything feels so hackneyed and forced. And then. The next couple of episodes, they slow things down and they focus and they start to feel like real people. And that's when I got invested in the show. We have yeah. Noelle Wells, who is Devani Tendi. Um, she's another ensign. Eugene Cordero, um, another ensign. So, okay, so you get the point. This this show is about the uh, a handful of ensigns in different part in different um, departments of a starship. And you're right, like, as most Star Trek for, uh, focuses on the bridge crew, and then, you know, the, the joke is always the red shirts uh, who yeah. get shot up in every episode. This is this asks the question, how does the rest of the crew function? To the point where, like, you get to see them, like, hanging out in the bunks, like, you know, around the hallways and stuff. Um, like, they don't have rooms or anything. They have bunks, things like that. You know, how does the running of the, the everyday running of the starship actually function? But they take, but they take it on in a very humorous way, uh, which is one of the things I really liked about Lower Decks. Like again, I thought this was going to be too much, just making fun of Star Trek, and it was going to be too over the top silly. It gets a little silly at times, but I think in the, in a kind of respectful way, to where there's a tacit recognition that Star Trek in and of itself is silly. So why yeah. not just have fun with it? Yeah. Well, sort of the closest thing I could compare it to there is uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, where if you're if you're someone who doesn't know Star Trek, you kind of think, oh, like I bet like, Star Trek fans must really hate this because it makes fun of Star Trek. But the Star Trek fans are like, no, we love it because it knows how to make fun of Star Trek. Like this, these are jokes written by people who know what they're talking about, who understand the franchise, and and that's you know it, it adds enjoyment to 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 the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's get into the first. Uh, thing I wanted to talk about with this show is I want to talk about the Beckett Mariner character. Her mom is the captain of the ship and they there's an immediate animus between the two of them where you have Beckett who's kind of a she's she's been there, she's seen it, she knows it all, she's got a lot of wisdom to her but there's a, a bit of immaturity and a kind of a slacker attitude 
You know, she's just like, I don't want to be promoted. I don't, you know, I don't want to buy anything bought sold, or do, it was the, I don't want to do anything bought sold. You know, he, it's, it's that it's that whole spiel from John Cusack in uh, Say Anything. She's like, I'm good where I am. I want to go out and have adventures. I don't really want a lot of responsibility. And she's paired up with Boimler, who is obviously career focused, but he's a fop and he's nervous and he's, you know, he, he's all of these things. And they, of course, have kind of a funny comedic chemistry together. But then there's the mom, who's the captain, who's like, at first, I thought she was going to be a real villain in this thing. But she's just, you know, she's somebody who sees the seriousness of the of what they're endeavoring to do and wishes her daughter would just get her shit together or leave one of the two so it's not so she doesn't quite do the major league thing where it's like i am here to sabotage everything because i'm evil but there is a little bit of i i would prefer if my daughter was blown out of an airlock kind of an attitude <laughs> and that takes up a large portion of this of this first season you know um there's a really great episode towards the end where her friend who's become a captain comes on board yeah. and they talk about like babysitting and everything. And, um, and at first she's cool with it and she's living up to all the expectations and she's great. And she's having a good time with this woman. And then the woman's like, you know, maybe we should promote you. And at which point she purposely starts self-sabotaging. Yeah. And, and she goes out of her way to say like, don't push me beyond where I'm willing to go. I, and I don't know if you remember and I'll shut up so that you can talk about this. Did something happen to her where she was like, I've seen the other side? I, I know for me, people have asked me, like, why don't I ever try to move up in, you know, in corporate? I'm like, because I've seen what happens to those people. And I like my ass unchewed. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then there's the whole, like, everyone rises to their own level of incompetence. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With Mariner, um, like, I think that's kind of alluded that there was something that happened in the past that sort of mm -hmm. set her on this. Like, she used to be, like, right on the promotion track doing you know, ha having the career that her mother would probably be hoping for her, but then something happened and she just like rejected the upper ranks completely. And we sort yeah. of learn a bit like, I think she sort of views the upper ranks as being kind of full of themselves, burdened down by bureaucracy and uh, protocol. Yeah, she's more like, yeah, we're, we're lower decks. We get our hands dirty. We get the job mm -hmm. done. We don't need rules to get in our way. Of you know, getting that, the mission. Kind of well, there's yeah. a really great line where I think the mother starts to realize the the good that Beckett can do left in the position she's in, you know, it's, it's a Kirk thing. Um, mm -hmm. Kirk was always one to bend the rules to get to, to get the mission accomplished. You know, he always, he was a very out of the box, fourth dimensional thinker. Yeah. Kirk and was I always think, like the rules, the rules exist for a reason, but they can't anticipate every single situation I'm in. So, right. you know, I, I, I will bend them. And if I really, really have to break them, if, if that's what I, that's the only thing I, option yeah. I have. Kirk, Kirk saw the forest for the trees, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, um, and I think he also, there was a tacit recognition of Starfleet's inability to sometimes get out of its own way due to its strict adherence to rules and regulations when it suited them. And I, and the mother and, and I just keep saying the mother. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Captain. Uh... Yeah, Don Lewis is Carol Freeman. So Captain Freeman. Yeah. Um, there's a tacit recognition that you're going to run up against situations where you're going to need somebody who comfortably operates outside of rules and regulations. And that's where, so her daughter is, is competent. Her daughter, you know, has leadership skills. She has technical skills. You know, she's somebody who can get jobs done. And I, the mother realizes that she can lean on her when she needs somebody that's comfortable operating outside of the rules. And that's where they landed by the end of the season, but it takes all season to get there. Yeah, they they, they get to a place of mutual respect in that they're in a, mm -hmm. situ a crisis situation where the ship's in danger of being destroyed, and both of them are working together to do everything they can to save the ship and protect the crew. It's sort of that understanding that they, whilst they come at things from opposite ends, with mm -hmm. uh, Freeman being very by the book, top down, whereas Mariner's very much doing my own thing from the bottom up. But they both realize that you know, we will both do whatever it takes to accomplish the mission and protect the ship and crew. And, and and it does end with that sort of mutual, at least the beginning of a mutual understanding that both both of their positions have merit. And instead of trying to force the other into their way of thinking, maybe they should try more to meet in the middle. Um, but yeah, with, with Mariner, I found that like she was a bit insufferable for the first two episodes where it was very much her being yeah. better at everything than Boimler and Boimler always messing up. You even get to the end of the second episode 
where it looks like she's messed up and Boimler was right all along. And then we found out that she set up the whole thing to make Boimler feel better about himself. It was, it was really episode three where mm. uh, we sort of find that she basically due to her adherence to not following the rules and that chip on her shoulder, she ends up putting the away team in danger. And the first thing she says is like, you know, I can fix this. Let me fight in the gladiatorial, you know, combat that they have to do to get out of this. And then the second officer, he says, no, 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 I'm the second officer. It's my duty. And he just rips off his shirt, Captain Kirk style and steps into the ring. That's sort of where we're sort of Mariner. We see that she's not perfect. You know, she's not always right. You know, uh, uh, you know, the, these qualities that give her advantages can also give her disadvantages. And she becomes much more of a rounded character at that point. And for me also just seeing, uh, like, like this is just an example of how deep the cuts are in this show. Yeah. When the, when the first officer, I forget his name here, uh, Ran Commander Ransom, who's very much a stand-in for Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, he, he just goes up there and every move he makes in the fight is the infamous double axe handle where you know you clasp both hands together and you just whack them with them. <laughs> if, if you've watched any amount of Star Trek, especially Deep Space Nine, every fight scene, someone does this move at some point. Yeah. Yeah, the double axe handle smash is very popular. Um, the, the fight choreography in Star Trek wasn't exactly, you know, a uh, warrior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was serviceable. It did the job. But, sure. But yeah, but that is something that you don't get from going to like a one day seminar with one of their Paramount Star Trek experts. Yeah, so that is something that you need to have loved and watched this show for a long time to to notice mm -hmm. and, and put in there. So that kind of made me realize, that, okay, the people writing this show, they they know their Trek. Yeah, um, that was one of the things I wanted to comment on. I, I said before, it's funny, I didn't realize that one of the writing people on this was, um, one of the writers on this was the, someone from Rick and Morty. I really thought it was going to be a lot of, like, again, parodying or, or sophomoric humor. There's a lot of heart in this show, and you can tell that like, there's a lot of love for Star Trek. They're just having fun with it. One of the things I wanted to talk about to that end is the language used in the show. Like, at, right at the top, you know, the warning, it says coarse language and violence. Yeah. And I was thinking about something else that I'd seen, and I, it's, it's on the tip of my tongue, and it, maybe as I talk about it, I'll remember. But, oh, it's, it's the Orville, duh. Um, yeah. The Orville ha had kind of a similar uh, dialogue aesthetic to it, to where people, because Star Trek, um, the next generation, and uh, the original Trek, not so much Deep Space Nine and some of the other ones, but they tended to more talk like people. But definitely Star Trek and Next Generation, it'll... It all felt like a stage play, you know. Yeah, it, it, it all it, felt over over dramatized. Yeah, it was kind of part of Gene Roddenberry's sort of humanity has evolved to a higher intellectual like plane where yeah, everything is all very high culture. Everyone is very rational and mm -hmm. and then mature for for the most part. Uh, yeah, whereas yeah, the Orville is just kind of a bit more like people in space. Like we'll we'll watch a silly movie or Bordis will try and sing my heart will go on at karaoke one night <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas like you get to something like discovery and it's like it, it's just like watching a frat house of liberal arts students that somehow have managed <laughs> to get on a starship yeah i don't know if it's that bad this one but this one definitely just felt like people talking to people like if, if like if you didn't know this was star trek you just heard the dialogue it just sounds like a workplace it sounds like a workplace yeah comedy. yeah it's, it's a lot more yeah a lot more working class and then one thing i love is just in the little sort of coda before one episode mm -hmm. they have like the talent show in 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 the you know the i, I would say 10 forward but that's that's on the enterprise d but you, you know the, the recreational space on the ship yeah. and you have like boimler get up and he's like get, got his like violin and he's about to play then you just see mariner you know, bust in with like a big amp and electric guitar, and she just starts thrashing. And yeah, like, like I'm, I'm pretty sure 300 years in the future, there are still going to be metalheads. Yeah, exactly. And that, so I know, I, not that I want to relive this argument, and he's not in, he's not here to stand up yeah. for himself. But like that was the that was the conversation we were having when we talked when we did the retrospective for the Kelvin Trek, and we when we talked about J.J. Abrams and his overuse of sabotage. Um, <laughs> And like, you know, we, we were talking at the time, like in my defense of him using that without getting bent out of shape that the song even exists, was that it's entirely look, I 
if I'm still like listening to Led Zeppelin and Elvis, if there's like an Elvis movie coming out later, it's 2022. Elvis was big in the 50s and the 60s. You know, we, we're, we're still, we're still like referencing classical music of like the late 1800s, early 1900s. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's entirely possible that in the future, especially digital media being what it is, we're still going to remember the Beastie Boys. You know, we're still going to remember Sabotage. And someone might have an urge to play it while it's destroying drones or whatever it was it was doing in that movie. So my point being um, that, you know, to, to your point about like, oh, there'll still be like metalheads in the future. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think certain elements of the culture will just disappear over time. I think there'll still be some of that. And more to the point, the thing I like about Lower Decks is that while it is tricky, it still feels like real people with real problems and real conflicts and it doesn't it doesn't have the hoity dramatization that original track and next generation seem to have had which i think people yeah. like it feels mm -hmm. otherworldly it feels elevated um but sometimes you want to watch something that kind of reminds you of like community or parks and recs or something like that which lower decks very much does um i want to talk about boimler for, yeah. for just a second because again, he also started out really, really rough. He started out as somebody who was so nervous and everything else. I was like, oh my God, with this guy, you know, this is, this is going to be a nightmare. And I think the height of it was the episode where he has the girlfriend who's like <laughs> a lieutenant on the other ship. Yeah. And he's having to like go out, you know, it's a great episode because Becky thinks she's an alien of some kind. Yeah, because like, like a girl could not possibly be interested in Boimler, especially right. when attractive as. There's as no way girl. a hot girl's into you. It's, she has to be a parasite, which I yeah. thought was crack. Yeah, or, I like or a shifting vampire. Yeah, some something there. There has to be something else going on here. Um, and then he in turn is feeling threatened by. Because, of course, you know, like six foot some odd tall African-American ex-lover. The little tropey, yeah. by the way. <laughs> a little tropey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then so he's trying he's going out of his way to impress her. And I forget how it was. I don't think they break up or anything like that. But it was definitely resolved with with the, the recognition that he needed to just like calm down and ex accept that she liked him and be comfortable with that and stop going crazy. And then I think he gets knocked out, if I remember, at the end of this episode. And Beckett and her end up bonding over, like, making fun of him. Like yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's funny. he's actually the one who has the parasite. And the parasite's messing with his pheromones or something. And that's why the girl's into him. So it was, yeah. it was kind of a, a bait and switch there. But, yeah, as, yeah, Boimler starts off as he's very fresh from the academy, idealistic. Mm -hmm. you know, Career-oriented. Career-oriented, where you have uh, Mariner, who's very much like, I'm going to tell you how things really work. Yeah. You know what they don't teach you in school, and, uh, and he always has, and he always has like a like a crutching of pearls with everything. It's like, oh, it does. You can't do that. And she's like, please, you totally can. Yeah. Like, and later it, on in the season, she's like, she's like stolen a yacht key, and she's got something else, and you know, and he loosens up a little, and it's like, I'm going to enjoy the party while I can. Yeah. As as the show goes on, he gains more experience. He becomes a bit more competent and confident, mm -hmm. and and he does start to see some of. Some of Mayweather's wisdom. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Devandi, Devan Attendi, uh, who was played by <laughs> Noelle Wells. Yeah. Uh, and Orion Ensign in the medical bay, which I, I didn't understand this. Maybe you can explain it to me. They have her palling around with a cyborg guy who's in engineering. Like, why do they have the medical person palling around with the engineering person? They're doing and they're doing jobs together. I think that was my con my confusion. Like, why? Why is essentially this nurse following the engineer around? Yeah, I can't really explain if there's like a practical reason on ship why they would do it, but I think it's more mm -hmm. just like like those two characters have their own dynamic. Like they have that sort of you know romantic subplot going on between mm -hmm. the two. I mean, I can see how in their spare time they might want to spend time together. Maybe they right. like each other, and you know you don't really want to spend all your time with the people you work with day to day. Sure. Um, yeah. So there's that. But yeah, Tendi. It's I like because she's just got that wide-eyed optimism, and she's just you know soaking up everything that's going on and just enjoying every minute of it. Like I think the, mm -hmm. the in her first scene, she's medical emergency in sick bay. She has to like take someone's heart out of their stomach and like physically pump it, and then she's just like, "This is so cool." 
um, yeah, they do sort of a thing where her being Orion, whereas in the Star Trek tradition of each alien race has like one overriding quality, mm-hmm. like Klingons are all warriors, Romulans are all, you know, xenophobic, shifty spies. The, the Orions are apparently the organized crime uh, race. <laughs> I didn't even pick that up. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so there's a sort of thing where every time like someone makes some sort of reference to that, Tindy's like, oh, you know, that's, you know, that, that's profiling. Like, you know, we're not all <laughs> like that. There's, there's more to us. She, uh, she didn't start off nearly. I mean, she, she's, I thought she was going to be like a point of view character, but they quickly abandoned that. She's, yeah. she's the new person and it's an excuse to sort of give a tour of the ship and give you a sense of what the show is going to be. But after that, that's done. After that, it's, She's in a B. She's either in an A or B plot, depending on how the show rolls out. And she's usually with. Uh, let me get his character name. Um, uh, uh, Eugene Cordero, Sam Rutherford character. Yeah. Who's the uh, the cyborg? And they just have they they just have fun play together. You know they they play off each other really really well. There's really there's something really sad later on. He like loses his memory and he has no memory of their friendship. And you start to see her like quiver about it and then she's like that just means we get to be friends all over again you know yeah yeah she's just so so overwhelmingly positive yeah um but like while boimler and beckett would get on my nerves periodically like she never did like her and the the cyborg character actually kind of reminds me of cyborg from teen titans yeah like this sort of you know like over exuberant bro character yeah um i and and i i I don't know if I'm just misremembering it or not, or just thinking too much about the um, the cyborg character from Teen Titans, but yeah, <laughs> I, I had a hard time splitting them in my mind. Yeah, well, they are both cyborgs. Yeah, well, that that helps. But um, I, I'm trying to think of anything that, that was memorable about them as this just just the yeah, 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 the amnesia thing. Yeah, they don't have as many arcs as yeah. uh, Boimler and uh, Mayweather do. They're kind of more mm-hmm. there to service the B plot of each episode, which yeah. I think leans a bit more on uh, on comedy. Like I think uh, I think with uh, with Rutherford, there's one episode where I think he sort of does wonder about you know I'm an engineer, Tendy's in medical, maybe I should transfer to another department. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's just sort of him going around the ship and going, hey, you know what this. This isn't really working out for me, and and everyone's super happy to to have him. And like in, in the end, he he applies for security and like has his martial arts programming into his cyborg brain, and he just like dominates all the all the training scenarios. And mm-hmm. you know, the the chief of security just goes like, "Yo, welcome to the club." And he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I I you know this is great, and thanks, but I I, I kind of realize that you know engineering is the only place I'll be happy with." It's like, well. Yeah. If that's your decision, I have only one thing to say. That's great. Glad you found a place where you bought on the ship. The cat doctor cracked me up too. Oh, she had the best joke of the whole series, in my opinion. It, it kind of ties into how, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, was it Rutherford's? Uh, mm-hmm. Not not Rutherford. Uh, yeah, Mariner. How how Mariner's you know most logical explanation for. Boimler's girlfriend was alien parasite. <laughs> yeah, like, like there's, there's just, just this one scene where you know the, the doctor gets on the bridge of the ship's like, Captain, the crew's been replaced by alien doppelgangers. And and then everyone's just kind of looking at her, and they all look very similar to the crew, but a little bit different. <laughs> right. Yeah. And she's like, wait, what ship am I on? <laughs> and there's like, oh, all these ships look the same, and she just storms off. And I just I just find it hilarious that you know, she just got on an identical class of ship. Mm-hmm. And on, at space talk by mistake and and the most likely the most likely explanation she first went to was not i've gotten on the wrong ship it's like the ship's been taken over by alien infiltrators uh, it just <laughs> it worked but yeah she kind of she challenges a bit of she channels a bit of uh of mccoy like she's kind of mm-hmm. got that that's dry sarcasm <laughs> i'm a doctor not a pussycat um yeah she has a lot of she has there's always a character in the show that has like great one-liners this is that character. She she, she kind of reminds me of like somebody like Futurama, like a Farnsworth or uh, yeah. the lobster character um, where she, everyone else is sort of, in, you know, interacting and she'll just sort of pass into frame, say something really funny and pass right out again. Um, she also like Beckett had kind of a jazzy delivery with some of her lines. But everybody else sort of plays it straight. 
you know, they're just talking as people. The the cat doctor <clears throat> also just had some really, really funny line readings in the way like she would say things. Like, I don't know, something about her voice. Uh, something with the, you know, like nobody really, I didn't hear a lot of cursing on the show, but the cat always cursed. Yeah. <laughs> the cat, cat always just was like, damn this or what the hell or like, you know, you brought up like bones. Like, like if they if they took the reins off bones and just let him be him, like that's exactly what it would sound like. Yeah, yeah. The the bridge crew, whilst they're not big characters in the show, they still have their mm-hmm. own personalities and a bit of their own arcs, uh, and and they have a good interplay with the lower decks crew when they when they get there. And mm-hmm. yeah, like, like I, yeah, a lot of the show is sort of them running up against uh, each other. Like uh, if you remember the buffer time episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sort of plays on a on a next generation thing where Scotty, who's in that episode, uh, he's talking with Jordy, and and Jordy's telling the captain, "Like, oh, I need uh, you know twelve hours to realign the warp coils or something like that." Yeah, and and Scotty goes, "Okay, h- how long does it really take?" It's like twelve hours. It's like you told the captain the actual time it takes to do the job. Are you crazy? <laughs> right. you know? Oh my god, I laughed really hard at that. That the whole Scotty thing. Because they did, didn't they do that in Star Trek: The Next Generation, where he's talking to Jordy, yeah, and he's yeah, like, exactly. "Never tell him the real time," and Jordy gets like really offended by it. Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll keep expecting you to be that good, and if you do better, then they're impressed that you do, you're ahead of schedule. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea of buffer time and, and my then, God, Scott Scotty's line like, "But how long does it really take, Laddie?" Yeah. And Jordy's like, "Oh, it, it takes that long." <laughs> you yeah. know? It's so good. Yeah, but but then they just take that where the the captain finds out about the crew, yeah, buffering their their time estimates and and starts giving them really tight deadlines to improve efficiency, and the crew's just going crazy trying to keep up with it all, except for Boimler, who's loving it. Um, let me take a time out here and talk to you about Grammarly. Grammarly's AI powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly uh, helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and checking silent movements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Um, what were some of your... I mean, that's that's basically all the crew and anything worth talking about. Uh, I want to talk about this and then I'm going to pitch it over to you for some of just any, any, anything else, any, like any episodes, especially that stand out to you. But I think the, I think it's the season finale that has Riker and Troy on it. Yes. I had, I laughed hard at that. Like, I don't think that was actually Jonathan Frakes. Was it? Yes. Yes, it was. Oh, it Jonathan was Frakes and Marina Sirtis. And they had, uh, oh geez, uh, John, John Delancey as Q for, Yes, they did. Um, I laughed at the Q stuff. I, so my, I'm going to break from what I was going to talk about just like, since you brought it up. I thought the yeah. Q thing was hilarious because they're like, why don't you go bother Picard? And he was like, he's so boring. Everything is, oh, make tea. You know? Yeah, like all he does is talk about wine and quote Shakespeare. <laughs> I, I love that that there's a recognition there that Q would get bored of Picard. Because like, no, like nobody has ever been brave enough to write that. But this group of people were like, if you if you were Mr. Mitzelplex and you were running yeah. up to the guy who A always beats you and B is you know is incorruptible, you you know, it's like the injustice thing where the Joker got tired of dealing with Batman, so he went after Superman because Superman's a moron. So like <laughs> same, yeah. same principle here that he like he's messing with them, he's messing with that ship because it was, you know, after a while messing with Picard didn't didn't give him the same thrill. I'm like, that's really insightful and funny. Yeah, well, I think it's also sort of poking fun at the the version of Picard in Star Trek Picard, where mm-hmm. he's, he's just not that exciting or interesting of a character anymore, as opposed to yeah. what he was in Next Generation. And next, it's so funny because what everyone remembers is the Lacutus stuff, but boy, was he a character before that and after that. Yeah, I mean, but that's all anyone ever remembers is Lacutus. Yeah. Yeah, and then they like Lacutus is important in Picard's life. That, that was a big moment for him, and it sure. had long-ranging effects for him. But, but yeah, there was a lot more to Picard than that, and his relationship with Q as well. Yeah. Whereas, like Q, I think he liked to torment Picard because yeah, Picard is just such a straight man. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's funny to put him in these ridiculous situations. Sure. But then have there was you, also. I mean, have you ever been on? Have you ever seen DMU Hollywood? <laughs> I, I, I poke Robert's nibbles because it's hilarious. It's always funny to poke the straight man. 
Yeah, but like where Q and Picard excel is the bit where Q sort of stops being this tormentor as much and starts kind of being almost a guide, like where he's trying to yeah. teach Picard some lessons about a, a mentor. Yeah, a bit of a mentor. Where like the the, the Q character was originally because they needed a one a two hour pilot episode for Next Generation, and DC Fontana only wrote one hour of script, <laughs> like like the actual encounter at Farpoint stuff. So Gene Roddenberry decided like, well, I'll just write like something else. And it's like, well, let's give this immortal race of gods basically saying that humanity is advanced too much and we have to prove how awesome we are to them because this is his humanist vision of the future where we really are that good. Yeah. So, so yeah, like the, the more Gene Roddenberry side of Q was very much in being this tormentor trying to test humanity and humanity always passing the test because we've just become that awesome, which is really boring. Yeah. Whereas some of the other writers took over when they started writing the character, they did a lot more sort of cues, sort of recognizing that humanity could become like the cue in the end, mm -hmm. but they needed a bit of guidance. So, so you yeah. sort of, see, yeah, it's more of a guiding hand. I mean, still with like a, a wink and a smile and a bit of a ribbing, but, but yeah, someone who's, who's, who's definitely trying to, to expand like what Picard's understanding of life beyond, beyond what it initially was. And you especially see that in the episodes, uh, tapestry and all good things but we'll, we'll probably end up talking a bit more about q when we do picard so i don't want to get too too far into that <laughs> yep um but back to jonathan franks yes they you could tell again i think you can always appreciate a series when it there's that fourth dimensional feeling that everyone in who worked on this was really having fun with it yeah well, well it, it wasn't just the just... gig yeah, well, I'm just going to do, briefly sideline you here. Like when he shows up on the USS Titan, that is actually mm -hmm. a official design of the USS Titan. There was like a competition and someone designed it. I think it was shown mm -hmm. in like a science center a display where it was like a Star Trek theme where they had, you know, various actors playing the mm -hmm. part. We talked about, you know, astronomy and stuff like that. So when that showed up and it's like, wow, like there's actually like this is this is what was supposed to happen after Nemesis. This was you know, where these characters were supposed to be and what they were doing. This isn't sort of crazy suns going supernova to various degrees and Romulan crap and killer robots and all the all, all the junk that the the core crack team of writers have put in. This is more like this is this is Star Trek for people who who like Star Trek and have followed Star Trek. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that episode. Um I like the fact that they they, they were like allusions to Riker and Beckett, you know, being pals, and yeah, like there was a whole thing about her, her having shit tons of contraband on the ship, which she <clears throat> it was a you know, she she has it so they can use it later as weapons because the ship's under attack or whatever it was. Um, but there was like, yeah, who do you think got me all my contraband? You know, I yeah. like, just that Riker Riker was never like portrayed as necessarily like this giant rule breaker or anything like that but there was always a bit of a danger to him and i like the fact that this writing team was like let's really have some fun with that let's make him seem like a total badass and then troy was troy you know it was fun and that she, she was there yeah she was she was kind of like the person like putting up with his childish antics yeah um all right so what are some of the things in various episodes that stand out to you uh yeah certainly a lot of the the deep cuts that they would make um uh, mm -hmm. Like they did that flash forward after Boimler is apparently going to be known for making buffer time official, which is the exact opposite thing that he would want to be remembered for. Yeah. They, 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 they flash forward to the future about, you know, one of the great heroes of Starfleet history and then onto the greatest hero, Miles Edward O'Brien and it's chief O'Brien just stood at the, sort of the trans like, like this isn't deep space nine, like chief mm -hmm. engineer O'Brien. This is like transporter technician, Miles O'Brien, where he's just standing at a console all the time. <laughs> and I think they had like something of that, and, and him like with the great bird of the galaxy, which was actually like Gene Roddenberry's nickname after he sort of became famous. So like deep cuts like that, uh, you had uh, like like when Riker shows up, you you go up to the bridge. Sorry, I'm late. I was you know, on the in the holodeck doing a simulation of the you know, original Enterprise, which is poking fun at the uh, season series finale for Enterprise, where it was mm -hmm. all like a holodeck program that Riker and Troy were in, like people complained that it was more of a next generation episode than an enterprise episode. Mm -hmm. And even him going like, yo, boy, it sure took them a long time getting from there to here, you know, taking a stab at the, at, you know, the, the, you know, law, uh, what was it called? My faith of the heart, like the Rod Stewart song that they used for mm -hmm. enterprise. So I, I, there are a lot of deep cuts that they do showing 
their knowledge of Star Trek. I mean, I'm not going to go through them all. I, I mm-hmm. don't want to do the whole. I'm going to explain every joke in the show. But okay, so uh, one of my one yeah. of my favorite episodes. I have two favorite episodes. The ones yeah. that, as we're talking, stand out to me. Yeah, one is where um, Rutherford creates the holodeck program with Badgie, which made yes. me laugh hard because they're clearly playing around with the Microsoft Office yes, thing. Yes, it's Thomas and, and this, Clippy. Yeah, and so, and, and of course, because they, they need drama, we need action, the thing becomes self-aware and, of course, wants to kill them. And boy, did they play that up for laughs. Yeah. You know, like, it, there's a creepy element to it, but it's also like, like I'm going to rip out your eyeballs and just shove them up your ass. Like, just yeah. like, like whatever wacky over the top thing he could say and saying it in a really funny horror voice, you know. So I, I did enjoy that. The other one is the I can't remember the character's name, but it's the one where uh, they go to the. They they're they're changing out discs in the warp core things uh, for the shield generator. Yeah, and they go and they're like, "Hey, go have fun." They're they're with the one guy that's a friend of Boimler's, and like, "Hey, you guys go have fun. I'm gonna finish this." And and he like falls asleep on the job and he messes it up, and the whole time he's like, "If you throw," the whole time he's like, "If you you get me in trouble, I'm taking everybody down with me." And despite the fact that they cover for him and cover for him and they try to fix things, he gets himself fired anyway for being a dumbass. Yeah. I laughed pretty hard at that. I enjoyed that episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but you can really tell that, 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 yeah, the crack team of writers and producers don't care at all about this show. They just want it mm-hmm. on. And that's the show's greatest strength. It's, yeah. it's a good team of solid, you know, meat and potatoes writers actually doing a show without any real oversight that they can just, you know, go and do whatever. And, like I love how the show looks like Star Trek. Like the uniforms mm-hmm. look. I mean, they're very TNG inspired, uh, but, but, I, but you know, like it has that look where it's like we're we're, we're you know we're not just you know re redoing everything in Star Trek. You know this isn't mm-hmm. old Star Trek. This is our new, better, modern Star Trek. Not for you old nerds. No, it's like this is you know this is this is what we want Star Trek to be next after that. You know Nemesis. I, I don't mean to sound like the creepy guy that's lusting yeah. after a cartoon character, but I like how, like, in half the episodes, Beckett's got her, like, her top uniform undone. Yeah. And well, she's that's... just walking walking around with her bra showing. Yeah, her, her undershirt, and she's got her sleeves yeah. rolled up. Yeah, like, it's kind of like showing her her rebellious streak, whereas, you know, I'm yeah. not even going to wear my uniform uh, to regulations. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here to work. But I like that because, again, like, as somebody who wears a uniform, your uniform becomes askew, you know, or you, you shift it around or people like, you know, there's variations on it. I like the fact that as a, even as a cartoon, this felt like a very lived in Star Trek because Star Trek can feel a little, a, a little distant. sterile. Yeah. Sterile. Yeah. 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 This feels very lived in. And I thought like Deep Space Nine felt lived in too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, Deep Space Nine is its own podcast series, but yeah, it was certainly, and I think like the writing team on Deep Space Nine paid more attention to that is they, they did want it to be a bit more of a, not so much gritty, but like an actual lived in world mm-hmm. that, yeah, that felt like, yeah, it was real. Um, and yeah. you know, many of those like Ronald Moore, one of the big you know, masterminds behind Deep Space Nine, you know, he went on to do the, you know, 2003 Battlestar Galactica series, which was very, very grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, in that way but uh but yeah like i yeah like i, I love how all, all the ship looks like very much in continuity with the existing designs um i, I think the design of the cerritos i i don't like it but i also love it mm-hmm. just because it's sort of like that very sort of kitbashed look where like when they were just trying to make other ships for for, for star trek other than copy pasting one model <coughs> picard uh, yeah, they would just like take bits and pieces of existing models and just you know like slam them together any well, which they, way. Did it not remind you of the Star Trek Two of the um, not the Botany Bay, uh, whatever, whatever ship Khan steals? Yeah, the Reliant. The Reliant, yeah, where it's yeah, the yeah, ship. Okay, yeah, yeah, I thought it looked like that. Which yeah, was like, cool, yeah. I actually kind of like the design of that ship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the Miranda class is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very very nice design. But yeah, like like they stick the main deflector between the warp nacelles and the Cerritos, which is like <laughs> the dumbest place for it. But again, it makes sense. Like it really tells you like this is this is one of those ships in the background, like over here, just you know, tiny <laughs> over you know in, in in the shot where the Enterprise is like big front and center. Mm-hmm. You know, this, like even the the first episode title, Second Contact. It's you know we're the ship that goes in after all the first contact stuff, and now we mm-hmm. actually have to like distribute the medical supplies, fill out right. the paperwork. You know, I like, do all the gritty jobs that you know nobody wants to do on the big fancy ships. 
I think that's the strength of the show is that yeah. it really does has any, it does ask. I said this at the at the top. It asked the question: Well, how does the rest of this world function once you get past the bridge crew? And they're having a lot of fun with it. Like, has anyone ever thought about what happens once we've made first contact? What's the next thing that has to happen? And it and it, it's a again. I, I keep using this phrase, but it's a tacit recognition that in an institution as big as Starfleet, there's going to be a lot of red tape and bureaucracy and you know and steps and processes. Like, if you've ever worked at a corporation, they have their processes and procedures, and it's just manuals upon manuals, and it's essentially it's a guidebook on how to do your job. Which yeah. I, I has having had to write those. Like I don't know how much writing and how much managerial stuff you do for your job, Dave. But I have been in a management position. That's why I'm not there now. <laughs> and I've had to write policies and procedures. It's mind numbing because you have to take basically what you do naturally is your job that just feels like common sense to you with a little bit of procedural, and you have to like write bullet points on how we get to step A to step B. Ugh. Yeah. But yeah, like I love that they they actually do meet up with one of the bigger ships, like the USS Vancouver, which mm-hmm. serves Putin and Sushi in their mess hall, which is just <laughs> you know, perfect for the name. And and yeah, I get you, you eventually find out that the chief engineer is trying to get transferred aboard the Cerritos because he's tired of being on a main ship, which has to deal with all the most dangerous jobs. Right. Yeah. But it's just like, again, lots of little details that they're, they're having a lot of fun with it. They put a lot of thought into the show. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah, I, I it, you can really tell that, they know what they're doing and they're enjoying playing around in this world. And whilst like lower decks, it, it doesn't really go to the the high peaks of classic Trek. It doesn't really do a lot of the, you know, the moral conundrums or the, yeah. you know, the, the philosophical stuff, but it does focus a bit more on character and, and it succeeds by having these characters feel like actual people that you care about. You want to see them succeed and they do actually grow and develop over the course of the show and that's where it really succeeds. And I think it would it would have done a bit better, I think, if they had actually succeeded in making a proper Star Trek show, which they're still still struggling to, to come up with. Oh, they with. have one. It's called the Orville. Yes, but I mean like the actual Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. I, I I know you're 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 not wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I mean again, well maybe strange new worlds will be it. I, I'm not optimistic, right. but we'll, we'll I do hope. It. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna review it. So we'll see I, I, would, I would love nothing more than to watch Picard season two or uh, Strange New Worlds or heck Discovery season four or five, however many they're going to do before they they put it out of everyone's misery and say like this is awesome, this is great, they've done it. But so far, I mean, you know, I'm I'm like fifth times bitten. I'm very shy now. Uh, anything about the show you don't like? Uh, who don't like? I mean, I, again, like it doesn't really hit the high highs of of what start made Star Trek so enduring. Mm-hmm. I mean, then part of that's the nature of the show. It, it is a comedy show. Um, mm-hmm. It's mostly, I think the first two episodes where it was a lot more Rick and Morty esque. Certain, like he had like, I think the end of the first episode, Mariner just launches on this long rant about all the adventures they're going to have and chanting out lower decks, lower decks. It's like, it was exactly like Rick's mm-hmm. monologue from the start of Rick and Morty. Um, but uh, yeah, like it just, once once you hit episode three and you see where the show is going, it, it works it works great. I mean, maybe I guess much like the Orville, if it could maybe get a little more serious and a bit less with the jokes, it would probably like there's some good stuff there, but I don't, we'll I don't know. I mean, again, the the premise of the show is it's the middle people that keep the ship that keep the ship running. Um if it, I don't know, if it gets if it gets too hoity. I think it loses its sense of self. This isn't, I don't, I don't want another next generation. I don't want another discovery as such. Yeah. I want, I want this. I like what this is. They just need to figure, I mean, I I have season two yet. Season two's out. Season three will be out later this year. Yeah. Like like this is the first time that I, in probably a decade that watching Star Trek has made me laugh and smile. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the worst part of the show was at, at the very end of the last episode mm. they usually do like you know up you know next episode on lower decks but since it was the last episode they instead put the trailer for season three of discovery and i just went like oh why did you i was having such a great time why did you have to remind me that that's that still exists that's an ill get off me moment yeah yeah it's like <laughs> it's just, just like like eating the most beautiful beautiful steak and then it just like you get the aftertaste of just crap so funny i i was making a sex illusion and then you said it's like eating and i'm like oh my god where's dave going with this you're like steak and i'm like he meant real steak got it 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. At least I didn't talk about the wine. <laughs> All right. Um, it's a review I just listened to. <laughs> hey, the music in this, you know, they, they were using classic Trek composition. What did you think of it? Uh, yeah, like I think the, the opening theme certainly works good. Again, much like the Orville, it's that sort of very hoity-toity, we're going mm. out exploring in grandeur mm. uh, type thing. And uh, yeah, the background music I found overall was fairly, uh, you know, it's serviceable. Like it, 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 it hit all the track notes, I think. Yeah, it, it did its job. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those soundtracks where it's not really, it, it stays in the background and does its job. Yep. Well, Speaking of Star Trek music, you can actually uh, use Amazon Music Unlimited, David, to uh, experience all the various kinds of Star Trek soundtracks that are out there and various orchestras that have played, you know, the London Symphony Orchestra plays Star Trek and all of that. You can find it all on Amazon Music Unlimited. And if you want a uh, opportunity to do so for free, we have to be giving away a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited. All right. GetAmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, it's GetAmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network for your free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Uh, and with that, I think we're done. Do we have it? Anything else? Uh, I think the only thing that I, I also wanted to mention is just the brilliance of using the Packlids as, mm -hmm. as the main villain. Okay. Yeah, because uh, the Packlids are on like one episode of Next Generation where they're just this race of absolute idiots. <laughs> Okay, and, and their whole thing is like they'll just go and like you know play helpless, and if any sort of good Samaritans come along, they'll try and like steal their technology. Mm -hmm. Like Jordy goes over to like fix their warp core or something, and they just you know the warp core is working. They just leave, kidnapping him, and now we have like an expert engineer to fix our fix our ship to make it go. We look for things, and and, and he he just like lies to them about making their ship indestructible and leading them into like a battle with the Enterprise and. You know, they, they totally lose because their ship still sucks. And mm -hmm. then it just, you know, goes away and they're just like, he is smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's all we see at the Packlids. I think there's like a couple of like extras in Deep Space Nine at the bar wearing Packlid mm -hmm. makeup. I mean, again, I'm sure it was just stuff like they just had in the makeup room to throw on. But but I think it was great when they show that they're actually like now stealing like good good pieces of ships and making these Frankenstein ships out of like Romulan parts and Klingon parts and Ferengi parts and, you know, like all this other stuff. And they're just like, the Packlids, they're winning, but I thought they were a joke. <laughs> Actual line from the show. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, like, the, the, they know what they're doing and they're, they're they're making good use of what's already there. It's almost sort of like Dave Filoni, but more more, more comedic in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. but, but, yeah, like, it just, the show fills me with joy and and and, and it deserves and to be shouted out and to be, <laughs> and, and to, to have some popularity yeah, I, I'm 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 happy for you that this show does bring you joy. And it's funny to hear you talk. You're you're definitely much more attached to Star Trek than I am. And it's not that I don't like Star Trek. I like Star Trek a lot. I think yeah. but you're clearly a bigger fan than I am. And Star Trek has hurt you more than it has me. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I try not to not to go uh full 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 eternals on this, shall we say? <laughs> You know, like, like, like we're crying out loud, David. It's just a show. Like, get over it. You know, go out and go outside. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, that's what I say. You're my big science fiction guy of all the people I podcast with. Um, but, uh, yeah, being a Star Trek fan has not been easy for the past decade. And yeah, so it's and, nice and, to and have there are those fans that do enjoy New Trek mm -hmm. and, you know, to, to steal, you know, from Robert, Robert, you know, Godspeed and party on, you know, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. glad you enjoy it. I, I wish I could see what you see in it, but I'm, I'm not for now. You know, I, I have to imagine these are young people who, you know, who don't necessarily have the lore and they, they see, or it's, it's people. And I, I talk about this all the time. There are a lot of passive audience members out there. And if the, if the lights are bright enough and the colors are, are, are vivid enough, and there's enough action, they're going to like it just fine. Yeah, they're, I think they're also, not looking for the deeper meeting here. Yeah, 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 that's true. Like you, you can get different things out of franchises. You know, some mm -hmm. people like the depth, other people just like action. Uh, yeah, it's there, and I think there's also a bit of the sort of like you know, like with sports teams, for example, you'll have those diehard fans that you know, will will show up for every game and cheer no matter how bad the team does. In Canada, we call them Maple Leafs fans. <laughs> That's like my one hockey joke. And then you'll have those those fans. Hang on. That, you know, you know. Hang on. Oh, good. It wasn't the crickets. <laughs>
Yeah, but then you'll have those fans that they'll only really show up if the team's you know doing well and they'll cheer them on. But once they start losing, they'll go away. The sort of fair weather fans and mm-hmm. like both both have their legitimacy in my opinion. And I think there's some people who are just like you know it's Star Trek. I have to support it because it's Star Trek and I love Star Trek. And if I don't, then they won't make any more Star Trek. And whereas I'm just like I would rather make no Star Trek than make this. <laughs> leave it. It's kind of how I feel about Lord of the Rings. Please stop doing this. Just leave it alone. It was fine the way it was. Yeah, yeah. Stop adding to it. Yeah, it, it was good. Don't don't try and fix it. You're just going to make it worse. Yeah. Um, all right. With that said, that is our review of Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh, earlier today, Alexis and I reviewed Green Eggs and Ham, the second serving. Um, this week, we had our re-airings of Hop, Madagascar, and my son and I did a alternative commentary for Ben-Hur, which was a lot of fun, the 2016 version, by the way. Um, we did a re-airs of How to Train Your Dragon and Kung Fu Panda 3 uh, to, cel- to celebrate, to acknowledge the anniversary of the Deepwater Horizon disaster during the Obama administration. We re-aired our review of the movie Deepwater Horizon. We also did a, speaking of which, um, I don't know how many of you are going to get mad about this because this might, I should have asked you, but I needed something for Comitter to do. So we reviewed Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, John Carter and Barbarella. Uh, that was Monday. We did Fantastic Beast 3. That was uh, Tuesday. Last night was uh, Ghost Impera. And then this weekend is our alternative commentary for Tyson Fury versus Dillian White. Next week, uh, we, we kick things off with the Superblog team up for Term Life. Uh, no show Monday. Uh, we had to reschedule that one. But we're back Tuesday with The Northman. Then Lordy, Spooky, Sextravaganza, Spectacular. And then Thursday, uh, myself and Pat Mullen will do a TV party for How I Met Your Father. Your father. Hello, mother. Hello, father. And if you're... And David, who is, like, the one... Like, everyone has their one show. David's one show is trivia. He's looking like, every trivia episode. And you were just on the last one, right? Where, for Wizards and Magic, which will be debuting a week from Saturday. I, I was going to, but there was a, a, a time zone oh, mixed up, so, I, so <laughs> I, I was not able to make it, but... Uh... Okay, yeah, that's right. Jesse did tell me that. Jesse was like, yeah, like an hour into recording, Dave was like, what are we starting? They're like, uh, an hour ago? <laughs> yeah, it, it was a busy week. <laughs> sure. All right. Um, as far as what David is doing, you got your schedule in front of you? You want me to read yeah, it off? What, what am I not doing? Yeah, really, David. Okay. May, is da- May is David month. Yeah, for those of you that like me, you're going to have a good month. For those of you that don't, uh, you're you're not, and I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so on the third, I'm uh, joining you and uh, is it Take the Cakey for a uh, double feature. Talk, on... Yeah, Talk the Keki. Talk, talk the Keki, that was it. Yeah, uh, yeah, for uh, Bubble and Bell, both mm-hmm. anime anime movies. Uh, at least one of them is good. I haven't seen Bubble yet. Uh, then on the 10th, uh, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. On the 16th, On Trial for the first Downton Abbey movie. That should be interesting. Uh, on the 19th uh, again more star trek picard season two so we'll we'll see how that turned out in the end with uh, you and andrew i think it's also on there um yeah assuming he's uh i think right now i just have you but with him it's always touch and go yeah fair enough uh well wait and wait until i have kids then i'll be the one who's who's in and out (laughs) sure yeah and uh yeah 22nd uh, on trial for Top Gun, where I'll be attending. Yeah. Oh, 23rd? Just 23rd. I will update that. This is this is gripping stuff, I'm sure. Audience. <laughs> yeah. There's someone who's like super into schedules, and this is just like their favorite podcasting oh, my, work. I was going to say, you should have seen um, the Metal Hammer of Doom extra we did last night, where the first 10 minutes of it is me trying to figure out what order we're supposed to do these reviews in, because I got the order wrong initially. Um, but to help yeah. you out here... But the Radish uh, Podcasting Network, where, where our behind-the-scenes sp- features are part of the main features. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, 24th, Downton Abbey 2. Yep. Uh, and uh, the 30th, uh, Tripped Up Trivia Science Fiction, where I'll be defending my title. Yep. Then uh, June 7th, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, we had to push that off a week because I'm glamping the weekend that Maverick comes out. So we're going to just we're gonna just, just put that off a week. Uh, yeah. So that'll be June 7th. And then... I have you on for Lightyear, June 21st, and then we'll stop here. Uh, Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2, June 30th. Yep. So hopefully as good as the first, if not better. Hopefully. All right, folks. Uh, anything else, David? Uh, no, I think that pretty much covers it for as long as anyone would care about. So Okay. Well, folks, thank you for joining us here in our review of Lower De- Star Trek Lower Deck Season 1. For David Wright, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.